see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Spit, the Spit Podcast. David Lee Scales in Hawaii. Scott Bass from this humble abode in Encinitas, California. Welcome, David. Good morning. Scott, great to hear your voice, dude. How are you? How are things in Southern California? Things are rainy. It's kind of rainy. It's very rainy. We have an atmospheric river, which... Should probably, if not already in the Urban Dictionary, should be in the Urban Dictionary. Do you like the rain? <laughs> this is going to be a boring podcast. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I've got a line of questioning regarded to all rain-related topics. Don't underestimate me. Uh, okay. Well, uh, yes, David, I like the rain. The rain is – I like the rain like I like the sun. Okay. Well, for people who don't live in Southern California, it barely ever rains. And uh, I relish the rain. I'm actually sad to be gone right now and missing the rain. And part of the reason is um, I feel like I'm on I'm on in the rat race and running, going all the time. And I can't stay inside if I know that it's sunny outside or certainly if I know that there's waves. And the rain gives me an opportunity to re- forget about every obligation that I have other than work. And even work, I could stay inside and work from the sofa when it's raining. So I enjoy it as a reprieve from the busyness of everyday life. Fair enough. I get that. I, I agree with you. I, I understand that. And in fact, that is actually why I like the rain. Like in, coming into this week, it's supposed to rain here for like two weeks. Excuse me. And so coming into this week, I was like, cool, I'm going to get a ton of work done. But unfortunately, exactly. it's offshore right now. So it's like one of those systems that's offshore. And I'm like, oh, God, I should be surfing. Will you surf in the rain? Um, and be- Oh, hell yes. Really? You're not worried about sewage? No, hell no been surfing in this rain for 40 years you're immune uh i might be stupid but i i just to me the rain's like all the guys that are on their costcos are going to turn into mountain bikers and it's going to be way less crowded so do you ever get sick do you get ear infections or anything like that sinus issues well no not really you know i think we've talked about this i get sick from the water when there's a red tide when there's a red tide, something occurs in my sinus and in my system. But for the most part, I can't like specifically point to a time that I went in the water and came out and was like, oh, I got sick from the water. Perfect. Get out there then. You have no excuse other than this podcast obligation. And a million other obligations. Speaking of which, I think this would be a great time for you to pitch uh, the upcoming boardroom show. Well, yes, let's do that. So I met with Pat Rawson and Tim Crozier, who's sort of my shaping bay. Uh, engineer, vice president, and um, Tim we Crozier. Went over rules yesterday. Tim Crozier of Blackbird Surfers. Boom. Yeah, and we went over some stuff, you know, like the boards and the rules and the judging and blah 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 blah. Sort of the the fine tooth comb that we poured through, and um, yeah, we're excited. We've got eight shapers. Sam Egan is coming from Australia. Christine Brailsford Caro, Manny Caro's wife and an excellent shaper. She's a, the sole woman that's competing. And Ryan Birch, the defending champion. We've got Tokuda-san from Japan, the defending champion from Japan. Um, Ricky Carroll, a three- or four-time champion. Uh, Timmy Patterson, 
from the legendary Patterson clan and Chris Christensen. And I think that's eight. Did I name eight? I Sound, probably did. Sounds like eight to me. Yeah, it's going to be good times. May so, 2nd and 3rd. So um, is Pat Rawson spending time in California now? I mean, he always kind of has a oh, little bit, Bill, but what's his... What's his? Yeah, he's coming and going. He flies over and, and shapes at Moonlight, and then he flies back. And Bill Barnfield, that's the other guy that I forgot to mention. Bill Barnfield's coming over from Hawaii. Gotcha. Um, so for people who are in Southern California, though, who want a Rawson, they can get one from him locally. Yeah, if you just... Rock up to Christensen's or call Christensen Surfboards or Moonlight Glassing and ask for Pat. He'll they'll get him on the phone and absolutely take an order and be stoked to. And he's busy. He's got tons of boards he's doing. And I just got a new one. And um, yeah, why am I so not? He, why, am, why am I not shocked that you just got a new surfboard? I know, right? I well, you know, I'm come that's Indo trip coming up. I'm kind of geeking out on what to ride. So I'm yeah. Um, I'm riding some boards. Well, I ordered a new JT at Justin Turnus, um, dark arts surfboards, a, a um, dad bod model, which makes tons of sense because I got a dad bod. It's hard interviewing surfboard shapers and not ordering boards. That is the biggest problem with doing these podcasts. That is definitely one of them. Yeah, there's no doubt. Totally. And I'm, 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 uh, I'm interviewing Hank Warner Thursday for the Boardroom Podcast, and I've always wanted one of his deep six-channel, like, caster kind of single-fin Chris O'Rourke model things. And I actually have one of those on order from Ricky Carroll in Florida, so I, yeah, who knows? <laughs> I almost feel obligated. I sort of feel obligated, like, when i interviewing him. Because I'm into it and I'm stoked for them and I'm stoked on their craftsmanship and I'm just like, you know what? Let me order a board. I'm going to order – you know, like I almost feel like, you know, it's part of the deal. I kind of feel the same way too and I also insist on paying for them. Like I'd never – Oh, yeah. Like that part of what you're feeling is I want to support this guy. Like I'm interviewing him. I'm fully sold on everything that they're saying and I want to get behind him and support him and then ride the board and discuss it and let other people know about it and all that sort of stuff. So paying for it is essential. However, you've got one on order right now from Ricky Carroll. You don't need a second one. And there's only so many days in the week. If I actually amortize like how much it cost me to ride each surfboard, you know, take the amount of money spent on it by the number of days that I've actually ridden it. I'm spending yeah. 20 bucks a session, maybe 40 bucks a session for some boards, <laughs> you know, like they're just coming faster oh than I can God. ride them. And I actually have a really killer deep six from Bob Mitzvin. So yeah, I don't need three of them. Dude, you could, I don't know that you would ever do this, but you could really start a resale business. Yeah. There's a couple of those popping up and, or have popped up. Um, of course the board source in Carlsbad, which was a big supporter of the show for a little while. And they're good friends of mine. It's JP St. Pierre and John four is the proprietor, the owner. Well, through our, um, listenership alone, people would want your hand-me-downs, you know? I know. You know what? That's not a bad idea. Like I need to look into that for sure. I'll tell you, I'll be your first customer. Dude, speaking of that, so I got the most insane board for the California Gold Surf Auction. This, It's one of those Rennie Yader, Kevin Ansel collaborations. Okay. They did about – they did six pintails, and I think they did 12 longboards. And this is the most beautiful longboard. It's, it's Rennie-shaped balsa longboard with the gold leaf – 
um, Mother of Pearl abalone artwork that Kevin Ansell did. Of course, I don't know if you know who Kevin is, but he's a world-renowned artist. His stuff goes for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And um, we've got this insane collaboration. This board's probably a $50,000 surfboard. I mean, it's a, it's a piece of fine art. It's not a board you would wax up. It's just, it's ridiculously gorgeous the way that the mother of pearl and the gold leaf and the abalone and the way it pops in the light. It's, it's just, it's just fascinating. I don't know. Did you see it on my Instagram? I put it on my Instagram, but I haven't really been on Insta. I'll check it though right now while we're talking. Um, when was the board made? The board was made in Oh three, I think. Okay. That's when they did the, the collaboration. And I spoke with Kevin on the phone the other morning and it, and it just, you know, he gave me some great insight into the board and the process. And it's one of the few boards where Rennie just let Kevin kind of like do his own thing, you know, like Kevin or Rennie's kind of a, can kind of wanted to control the process so that all the boards really came out unbelievable. And, and this is the one where Kevin said that Rennie let him sort of take the shackles off and go kind of crazy and have fun. And he just did this really incredible mermaid. And there's some other, you know, like a Triton or like a Nautilus kind of um, like king kind of feature, you know, like a. And there's just it's just really it's just so beautiful. It's it's, it's just mind blowing. But anyway, like I said, it's a piece of fine art. I mean, it's just it's. The picture doesn't really do it justice. No. You know, you, I'm look, luck, luckily, I'll have high, high impact, high image, high resolution imagery for on the auction site that people will be able to see. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and it is what you're saying, but it doesn't show all the detail. I've got detailed photos on the auction site, but I'm pretty psyched. Oh my god, the boards we're getting for the auction are insane. I'm looking at this 19. Check this out. I've got a 1973 Steve Liss fish. That's never been waxed. That has this incredible Paul. I think it's Paul Barker Zode. He goes by Zode artwork, air spray, airbrush. And this board came from Select Surf Shop in 1973. And the guy who owns it traded an ounce of pot for this board. No way. And he got the yeah. And he got the board. And he's one of these guys that has a lot of boards. And he just never waxed it. And then, for whatever reason, it just sort of stayed in his garage in a board bag. And this thing is like, this is like uncovering a, um, you know, like a Michelangelo or a Picasso or something that's just like somebody had in their garage and they went, oh, yeah, I forgot about this board. It's insane. It's a 1973 mint, never seen a bar of wax, Steve Liss fish. There's nothing like this thing. It's just mind-blowingly killer. Where and it's beautiful. It's, it's it's insane. Do these people? I don't know. The guy just call. Yeah, they just reach out to me, you know, because I'm kind of the I'm the board auction guy, and so you know, when I've been doing it since you know 2011 or whatever, so it's like now there's so much traction that tons of people are reaching out to me. The app helps a lot. You know, people can reach me on the app, and yeah. So anyway, this thing's just mental, man. I mean, the, the auction this year has got so much. High-end stuff. It's mind-blowing. Like, we've got these incredible balsas. I've got – I think I told you about the brewer, Jack Reeves. Jack Reeves' personal brewer chambered gun for Sunset Beach. It's insane. I'm using that phrase insane a lot. I need to come up with some other ones. But 
the boards are f- just fantastic. What I'm is, excited about the auction. Why is Jack Reeves selling his personal gun? I, I can't tell you why, but he, he moved it a long time ago. And there's a guy here in California who has it. It's a Dick Brewer. And it says on the thing, Dick Brewer for Jack Reeves in pencil on the chambered ball. So the board weighs probably only eight pounds. You know, it's a seven, six. It's just. I'm I'm also infatuated with balsa. I've got a ton of balsa in the in the auction this year as well. Dale Velzi balsa pig, a Renegator three fin California gun. I've got two diff balsas. I've got this Brewer balsa. There's a ton of killer wood in this auction. Killer wood in this auction. That is the quote of the podcast from Scott Bass. Obsessive about balsa yeah, and killer wood. And I've got a wood board being made for me for the Indo. <laughs> I think I told you a little bit it, about that. It all comes full circle. <laughs> I'm infatuated with riding wood on water. The way the kahunas meant it to be, bro. Come on. So I had dinner last night with uh, Josh Hall, who's here right now. And, oh, uh, good. And he, oh, said, cool. and he said that he's getting a boot this year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm stoked on Josh Hall. I saw him out. At, did he tell you that he saw me in the water at Suckouts recently? No, he didn't. What happened? Nothing. We were just out surfing, and, and you know, I saw Josh and paddled up and said hi and we had a good little shaka session and then we continued to catch tons of waves did is that how you sealed the deal on getting him a boardroom space no he had already reached out prior he's in you know we're stoked to get him involved um so that's yeah i was just that's a dude that um we don't get to hear enough i mean like people obviously know who he is and see his boards and his boards are beautiful but they're hard to get because he doesn't make a ton of them but um, and he doesn't also pop up in surf media very often, so it's cool that he's going to do that show so that people can access him. Yeah, he did the Japan show as well. Yeah, which yeah. I was stoked about. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, boardroom show. What is it? May second and third. Yeah, yeah. May second and third, the boardroom surfboard show presented by U.S. Blanks, and of course, U.S. Blanks our big sponsor for a long, long time. We're super stoked on Jeff and Kim and others being involved in the, the show from U.S. Blanks. And how it's made a full, what would you say, seed to fruit exhibition demonstration on how the surfboard's made from the fine shaping all the way through to laminating, sanding, glossing, the hot coat, everything, the airbrushing, the whole process. We've got a how it's made exhibition by Douglas Surf Products. Pretty psyched on that, too. Uh what about our podcast sponsor, Need Essentials? I need to get a new 3-2 coming out of wintertime, getting out of the 4-3. I'm getting a new 3-2, and Need Essentials now has their fused taped seams, premium thermal chest set wetties. I'm going to um, get me some of those olive-colored board shorts that you're always bragging about. That's what I'm rocking right now, dude. Well, um, we've got things to discuss. We've got Snapper Preview. We're going right into Snapper, I think, next week. Um, Dane Reynolds vows to return to the blogosphere. Chopes in the Olympics. Palm Springs Surf Club opens up with uh, special VIP invites. What, What else? What do you got? What of those do you want to discuss? Well, let me start with the... Let me ask you a question. What's the... Best story going into the season? The WSL season? The, the WSL. best story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kelly's 30th year on tour is a good one. 
Wrong. Okay. Um, Kiowa Belly broke up with his girlfriend and hates Gabriel Medina. There's a good one. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, but no. There's 20 surfers that have zero chance of making it anywhere near the quarterfinals. That's a good one. Wrong. Uh, you tell me then. What do you got? Okay. The greatest story is Joel Tudor. Okay. I'm listening. <laughs> Joel Tudor still has it. I think this is the greatest storyline right now. I, I think that more people are intrigued by – I don't even know how old he is. I want to say he's like 45. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't even know. 45-year-old just taking down the entire field – I don't even think he was – I think he was an alternate or something. I think he just showed up and they got him in the event at Noosa. And he won the first longboard event of the 2020 WSL season. And to me, I'm actually interested in watching him potentially be the world champion again after 20-something years or whatever it is. Yeah. 16 uh, years. I mean – 16 he, years after Tudor's last professional longboard victory. Okay. And he won decisively, too. And he was a wild card. He was a wild card, and now he's ranked number one in the world. Yeah. And he's 43. Okay. And this, I'm just now reading all the important shit. This is kind of interesting. I think this is the greatest. This is the kind. I think it's the coolest story. Do you? And Joel's, Joel's interesting, man. I mean, he'll, you know, he's not going to hold back. So I think Joel is a super interesting figure. And I did watch uh, highlights of that event, and I agree. Like, he decisively won. Um He's the best at doing that type of surfing in the world. And that type of surfing also you can do for a long time. I mean, he is unbelievably fit and athletic, obviously, because of his Brazilian jiu-jitsu kind of off-season cross-training. That keeps him in shape. Um, and he's a fascinating figure for a million other reasons. However, the competition doesn't... There's no drama in that longboard competition. It doesn't excite me the same way that watching Gabriel and Idolo fight it out excites me. You know, like I'll watch it from afar and I'll I'll watch the highlights, but I'm not necessarily engaged in the competitive aspect of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I I felt that way for this event. Quite frankly, it's after this event when he was deemed the winner that I went, wow, this is actually kind of interesting. Sixteen years later. 16 years later, he's going to potentially, he's the number one in the world, and he's going to put, he's, he's going to make a run at winning his world title. He can absolutely and, win it. If he commits to it, he'll win it. And he, I think he's committed to it. Well, what, um, what's interesting about the story is that um, basically the WSL bent to his rules 20 years later. Like that style of surf. That's exactly right. That style that Joel is I'm sorry, doing. Go ahead. No, it's all right. That style that Joel has been doing, surfing, he never stopped doing. He committed to doing basically traditional longboard surfing and also championing that as being kind of the appropriate way to ride that equipment. And as trends swayed away from him, like two plus one longboards, high performance longboards, the WSL followed that trend for, I don't know, 15 years or so. And in defiance, Joel set up the duct tape invitational through his sponsor Vans and did this kind of offbeat event and just quietly banged the drum or maybe not so quietly. And eventually, largely due to his buddy Devin Howard getting involved in the WSL, 
and also probably not engaging audience by doing it the way that they were doing, they realized, oh, maybe we should come back to this more traditional style of longboarding. And they did. And then Joel said, okay, I'll come play. And then Joel smokes everybody doing what he's been doing all along, obviously. So that, that is actually a really compelling story. Okay. I agree with you. Compelling yeah. story. Yeah. It's a, you're, you're absolutely, that is the reason why it's so compelling that he basically had them in a 20 year submission hold and they finally tapped out and went, you win. And then he went, oh yeah, watch me win. I think it's pretty cool, man. I'm, I'm fully engaged in the next longboard event. Okay, me too. Of this. Just because you made the analogy, convinced and, you. No, and you also made the analogy tying it back to his MMA. He he had the WSL in a submission hold. Boom! You you sold me. Yeah, that was it. Uh, he actually doesn't even need. He's already kind of won in a weird way, but it would be even better if he hoisted the trophy. I think there's like three events. I think there's through this here. Here's my question. Now I'm going to talk crap a little bit about Joel. Uh, brace yourself. Okay. The part of the reason why he's a compelling figure to me is he is a vocal advocate for smoking weed. Yet he's also yeah. getting in fights with people all the time on the internet, including Kelly Slater last year. Yeah. So I think of yeah. I think of people that are smoking weed all the time as being the mellowest, chillest dudes ever. The people who are getting in fights at bars are not the stoners. They're the guys who are drinking heavily. So it's hard for me to reconcile his aggression with his, you know, uh, marijuana intake, basically. Yeah, I, I don't know how to reconcile that either. I I think for a long time he's, he's had a chip on his shoulder. Basically, he was kind of treated, not kind of, he was treated pretty badly by by some Hawaiians during his run as a youngster. And I think ever since then, he's, he's really had a chip and he's, and there's an underlying, um, ferocity behind him that sometimes probably comes out, uh, in social media. Right. You know? And so, you know, it's interesting, and I don't know this to be fact, but I think this is the fact, but I don't know this to be fact, but I think his last world title, we need to look into this. I think it was on a two plus one. Really? I don't, I don't know that for a fact. I'm going to have to do some background checking on that because I think it was at, and again, this is all <laughs> we, should, we should, I need to look into this, but I want to say it might've been at in the Canary Islands where the waves were like legit and you needed, you needed a real board. It wasn't a nose riding event. It was a pull into 15 foot barrels. But again, uh, all of this is lacking research. Um, that would be more blasphemous than anything that I just said about Joel. If you said that he won a title on a two <laughs> plus one and he didn't. Well, that's why I put, that's why I put all those caveats on it. <laughs> um, so, I, I, also, I obviously don't know Joel. I've never spent any time with him. So I also wondered if the social media angst and trolling is strictly trolling, if he's just having a good time and he's laughing every step of the way, or if he's actually like upset with people when they refer to it as a mid-length instead of an egg or whatever. He was upset about this last week, you know? Yeah, I think there is a little bit of that to it. Yeah, he won his last title in the Canary Islands in 1998. Um, and I bet it was pumping. Yeah. I'd like to look into this some more. I, I, I'm, I'm Wiki, 
Wikipediaing the shit out of him right now. I got a direct message or an email from a listener who um, went up and talked to Joel at Noosa and said that Joel was the nicest guy in the world. He's like, dude, I like poured my heart out and he was super gracious and uh, gave me 30 minutes of his time. We were rapping the whole time. Joel's kids were there, I guess. Uh, and he was just being the consummate dad and professional. And so uh, good feedback yeah. from the listeners about a positive experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so in regard to the 2020 WSL season and docket of contests, Julian Wilson takes down Merriweather with Ryan Callanan in second place. So two WSL surfers surfing the Challenger Series. Actually, I don't even know if that's a Challenger Series event. Um, but I don't remember seeing <laughs> I don't remember seeing Julian ever surf the preseason events. The reason why I'm bringing this up is Julian Wilson, the most put you know under delivering surfer maybe of our generation. Like this guy should have five world titles at this point, and he doesn't have one. This is the first time. What about Taj Burrow? They would be number one and two, or number two and three, I guess I should say, in that category. Um, but I don't remember Julian ever doing the preseason events. And so he shows up, and then he smokes the field. So what does this say? Are we going to see a new Julian this year? I I don't know. I mean, a new Julian because he showed up preseason and smoked the field? Yep. That's what Did I'm... he even smoke the field? I thought he barely won. No, he like went to a count back. Yeah, I mean he the scoreline was tied with Arcal, but I think Julian got underscored on his eight five, should have been a nine five, and I think Arcal got overscored. So Julian won because he had the highest score of the heat, but I think even that score was low. Um he won. Either way, he was the best surfer of the week. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Yeah. So is this is this are we seeing a revitalized focus in Jules? I mean, I think it's too early to, t- to make that call. One event. I-, I would say that I think all these guys are probably, um, you know, the guys that because of what's happened to the shakeup with Hurley and stuff, I'm sure they're all a little more keen to realize that um, prize money is going to be a greater percentage of their income now than it ever has been. And so, they may all be kind of like scrapping, you know, which is kind of a good thing for you and I, the end user, because, you know, hopefully we're going to see a new level of scrappiness because it's really coming down to feeding, you know, the, the prize money feeds me or not, you know. For a lot of guys, it is. I mean, maybe the top 10 are getting paid from other sponsors, but at this point, yeah. A lot of that bottom 20 is definitely going to be working for their dinner. Um, And that's probably going to feed a trickle up to those top 10 guys, too. You know, as far as the competitive antsiness and and, uh, hunger. Yeah. So what do you want or what are your thoughts on off-season preparation? Idolo, all, all of this, by the way, is based on social media or videos that have been posted about these surfers. Idolo has been spending all of his time in the gym and surfing and training. Gabriel, I've seen a little bit of surf footage and a handful of party footage. Kelly, it looks like he's been spending his entire offseason in Hawaii uh, working on boards, but kind of looks like he's working on Hawaii boards more than anything. 
Um, so like Kelly, it's good that he's surfing. It's good that he's staying fit, but I don't know how much of that is actual training versus just having fun and being comfy. I haven't seen anything from Kaloe Andino. I haven't seen anything from John, John Florence. Kanoa Igarashi has been traveling the world, doing tons of media in preparation for the Olympics and surfing his brains out. So you're saying Gabe starts slow and then comes on strong like he always does. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. I mean, of those, the ones that look primed to me are Idolo and Kanoa and maybe Julian based on this last win. But I don't know, like Kelly, I don't see a ton of. It's great that he's comfortable. It's great that he's surfing well, but I don't see a ton of fire in him from the offseason. Gabriel, I don't see a ton of fire in. And yeah, you're right. His history is that he shows up late in the season. Maybe Kaloa is just keeping it under wraps and he's in the gym every day and he's surfing every day. I have no idea. Um, but honestly, Idolo is the man to fear in my mind. Idolo looks super intimidating. Yeah. Look, I would agree right now. Obviously, number one in the world, he loves the guy to beat, and he's doing the work on the offseason according to what you've seen. Um, Stabs put out this thing that's basically saying Slater's Slater's going for it, but that could all just be clickbait. Um, what are your thoughts on Chopes in the Olympics? I think that's awesome. I think that's... I think that's insane. I think that's so great. I think especially in contrast to what potentially could play out in Japan, which is fun but small waves, um, you know, like basically bad Huntington Beach. Um, in contrast to that, surfing will need a bit of a pick-me-up. Um, you know, I, no matter what happens in Japan, surfing wins. But the next go-around... Uh, needs to really kind of drop our jaws and I think or not ours but the general public's jaws and I think that will happen hopefully with the right swell at Chopu it'll be a true Olympic venue yeah so for listeners we're talking about 2024 Olympics are going to be held in France so they in theory could do the event at any number of French uh, surf spots but it looks like they're going to do it it's not confirmed yet but they're vying to do it at in uh, French Polynesia. I think what's interesting about it is um, there's going to be a lot less middle ground. It's like there's surfers who can surf that wave well, and then everybody else doesn't even make the paddle. Like they don't even paddle out or they don't even take off on a wave. So, you know, how is the Netherlands going to do at Chopu? (laughs) (laughs) Or, I mean, to be honest, well, I don't (laughs) Japan for that matter, you know, I guess Kanoa could do it, but there's just not a lot of surfers that can really perform out there. There's going to be a huge disparity between the haves and the have nots essentially. Yeah. It'll come down to time in the water out there. See, I would suggest to you that there's guys from Japan and guys from the Netherlands and guys from Russia that have the balls to do it. They just don't have the time in the water. And so if they spend the time in the water, they might surprise, you know, where a guy who's, you know, number two in the world from Brazil, but can't seem to sack up. Felipe. You know, I, I just think, it, <laughs> I just think that you, we can't just say a blanket statement on one nation state. Isn't going to be able to pull it off. I think that there's guys that would surprise you, I'm gonna you s- know, like as far as the ability to just charge it, but can they then, you know, 
do the bottom turn, I don't know. I'm going to say that 90 not it's not that one nation state isn't uh, well equipped to handle it. I'm going to say 90% of the nation states are not equipped to handle it. Like it's a <laughs> it's a highly technical wave that takes way more than bravado to to make that drop and to navigate oh, the agree. barrel. I'm just saying if they put time in the water, they'll have the bravado and then with time in the water we might be surprised by a few I don't, here or there. I don't think there's enough time to uh, between now. There's four years. And if, by the way, being the best surfer at Chopu doesn't mean that you get into the Olympics. The current qualification right. is you have to be ranked the high, you know, the two highest from a given country. And so to put four years in into qualifying for the Olympics would really cut into your Chopu water time. If you could just go camp out at Chopes for the next four years, maybe you'd get enough water time in. But we're talking, that place takes decades, a decade of experience to get good at, you know? I think we're going to see some real carnage. Yeah. Either way, it's going to be good for uh, us. We're going to enjoy watching it. Hey, um, Peter King's tour notes. So Stab, I don't know if you read this thing on Stab. I'm just now reading it. But they're basically claiming that Slater's all in this year. Like, the latest installment of Peter King's tour notes, they're just basically saying, hey, Kelly said he's going to give another run on tour this year. And apparently there's been some chippy banter between Leo and Slater and Stab's just calling bullshit on Leo, just going straight up Slater's first better than Leo. End of story. Slater's been surfing a ton. He's been in Hawaii all off-season surfing. Based on the Instagram fodder, uh, he's in a good flow state. He's feasting on chia seeds. He freely admits last year was a challenge and that he's in a much, much better headspace. Think letting go all of 2005. He finished eighth in the world last year, admitting that he was in a dark place at the start of the season. He's got the injury behind him, well behind him. And Stab's kind of making this fun kind of thing like you and I do every year, like, or more me than you, actually. But they're saying this could be Slater's year, and I'm fuck. I'm buying it, dude. Throw a dollar in the sh- in the curse <laughs> jar. I'm in. So this was actually my must see moment this week. Um, there's actually uh, the Mason Ho video is an absolute must see uh, moment. Me too. However, I feel like yeah, every- that's mine. I feel like everybody's already seen it, so I didn't want to really push it. But the Slater thing, I feel like, did slip under the radar a little bit. Um, and by the way, Peter King deserves kudos for continuing tour notes is still the best tour notes has been on for, I don't know, eight years now. And he pumps out 30 of them a year and they are always impactful and full of like little nuggets and gems. But basically it's entitled Kelly Slater preps for his 30th year on tour. And it shows Kelly surfing Hollyiva and he's testing out a couple of different Takoros, like a quiver of Takoros, um, which they all look great, by the those way. Are, those are Takoros, huh? Yeah. Those are Takoros? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they look great He's... at Hollyiva. Um, and then there's also, by the way, other footage Jack Coleman put out uh, maybe two weeks ago of Kelly surfing out there, too, just like a free surf session That's also shows him kind of putting that board or those boards through their um, through the ropes, and they're they're just working really, really good for him. And I don't think those boards will translate necessarily to tour, but um, it's just good to see him on the right equipment in the right waves. Anyways, um, 
Kelly does talk about what you're saying, and he essentially says, look, between coming off of my injury and maybe he's talking about in 2019, coming off of my injury, also considering that that might be my last year on tour, and then the Sonny Garcia incident, my head was in not a great space for competing, and I just didn't feel confident, and I was second-guessing myself, blah, blah, blah. This year, he goes, I feel really comfortable, I feel healthy, I feel relaxed, and I'm excited to go compete. Um, so that's what Stab... He's ripping! He's surfing really well, yeah. And that's what Stab is kind of referring to in that piece, probably. But Yeah, yeah, they are. But look, Kelly surfing good waves, we know Kelly shreds good waves, and that's what they're showing in that video. He's ripping, he looks great, better than Leo, better than Kanoa out there during that session. But what if snappers like it was last year and they have to run it at D-ball? What if snappers knee high to waist high and you've got 10 aerial freaks like Idolo and Felipe and Gabriel and Kaloe and Kelly just simply cannot contend with those guys if the waves are less than really, really good. So I, and unless he had the hunger and tenacity that he had 10 and 15 years ago, then maybe that would be a value and an asset for him. But he doesn't have those things. And all those other guys have the athleticism plus the tenacity. So while I want to root for Kelly, I don't, I just don't think that he can compete on that level with those guys anymore, unless the waves are pumping. So, well, I disagree. I'm all in. I can't. Good. I might get disappointed. I've been I've been disappointed year after year after year. But based on what I'm reading, what I'm watching, mostly it's about his headspace for me. Yeah. He seems like he, it almost seems like he's he's gone, "Okay, look. Here's the deal, honey. Give me one more year. Give me one more year then it's marriage and children. <laughs> Dude, he's been saying, give me one more year for five years. And he's been getting his ears no, but, boxed in. But the, but the sunny thing threw him off his game. Every year, something threw him off his game. It's usually better surfers. Dude, speaking of sunny, I don't know if you followed this. He kind of dropped like the whole, all the news about him sort of dropped off the radar. You might recall his sister or his family was kind of putting out stuff on Facebook and stuff. And I guess, I don't know if you saw this. I saw this somewhere and I put it in my notes. But basically, I think the, the wife and the family have lawyered up and they're kind of going against each other here because the family's been told, to by to basically not say anything and the lawyers are saying don't say anything and it looks like this thing's getting into a really ugly place about who gets to control what happens to Sonny Garcia next yeah and um it's really it's so sad I mean let me ask you this I've heard it suggested that like traumatic life-altering incidents such as a failed suicide attempt can change one's view of their world um, and can make it be like, hey, actually, I do want to live, you know? Like, do you think, and I know we have no idea, but do you think, and this this is an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it. Do you think that Sonny wants to live? Do you think he had a life, like, do you think he's changed his mind? I would think, I would hope 
going through an incident like that would absolutely shift your perspective on probably everything in life. I also think that um, no emotion is permanent. So yes, it would have changed either way. Like for he was feeling what he was feeling in that moment and he made, you know, a life-changing decision. If he would have waited beyond that moment, the odds are he would have felt a different way about it in a short period of time. So I think it's important just to recognize that no feelings are permanent. And so it's important to not take permanent action when you're feeling a certain way. So yes, I think that if he comes out or even maybe right now he has enough mental acuity to where, yeah, he probably has regret for the way that um, he handled that moment, you know? And do you, and, but I guess I'm asking, is that regret, is that regret and that guilt so strong? And he's like, God, this is really lame, but I've, the position I put myself in. Uh, yeah, I would imagine so. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what position he's in or if he's, you know, able to think, yeah, no able to think in that. So... But what's interesting that you were talking about, I'll tell you exactly um, what it said. It was Pray for Sunny is the Instagram account if anybody wants to follow it. And I think it's run by his kids. And it says, it was really strange, actually. It says, um, I know it's been a long six months since the last time I've posted anything. And, and there's a reason for that. Our attorney, I asked one of our attorneys if it was okay to explain why we have not been allowed to update everyone on our dad. He said we we could say, quote, per an order from the court due to a specific request from both my dad's guardians. We have been told we are not allowed to give out any information to anyone about our dad anymore. So that's why the updates have stopped. So I don't know what that so means. So the guardians are somebody other than the children. They're, that's why I think it's the wife, you know, yeah. or maybe, um, you know, the the trustees of the executors of his trust, perhaps, that are the guardians. And they're saying, hey, tell those people over there, the kids, to be quiet. Yeah. You know, like, we don't want them doing this. Yeah. And so they got, there was a court order. I've heard that that Sonny's doing okay financially, like that that he made some really great investments when he was younger Good. into land, Good. into real estate. Good. So there's probably they're probably all trying to fight for that. Maybe so, yeah. I mean, he's alive, but he's alive, but but he has to be cared for, and so who knows? Who knows? It's yeah. so lame. It's just it's sad. It's horribly sad. Let's move on. It's totally sad. Let's bring it up a level. Um, so Palm Springs. How about the Kelly Slater wave pool? Which one? The new one, bro. The new one out. The new one. In La Quinta? In La Quinta? Yeah, guy. Yeah, La Quinta. Well, Charles Schwab wave. So there's obviously <laughs> three pools being built out in the desert. Actually, a fourth, um, which we have. Really? There's a fourth one in thermal. All right. Well, I know the, I know the, I know the two were... DSRT and the one that Shane Magnuson was doing, those were two of them. And then I know that Kelly just announced this new one, or at least Big Sky Wave Developments, which was founded by the son of Charles Schwab, who's an avid surfer. And he's the financial power behind this new one. And they're banking on, I guess, homeowners and weekenders choosing this sort of brand of wave over golf. And I'm reading directly from 
the press release, the idea being that, hey, buy, buy a house, buy a condo on this land, and you'll have access to the wave. Yeah, it's sort it's, of a golf course. It's basically country club vibe. The developers are the same developers that uh, developed the Yellowstone Club, and they do super high end playgrounds for the elite, essentially. So the homes are like yeah. one point something to five million dollar homes on that uh, property. It's a giant property that's already been secured. Um, so the land is secure now. They're doing kind of next level of funding. Uh, with the projection of having the wave pool and all that sort of stuff built into it. And the idea is you can only surf it. You can't just go buy tickets to surf it. You either have to own a home there or you can stay. They will have lodging, a hotel. So you have to be a hotel guest. And presumably the wave is the bigger attraction. Like I don't know that there would be a lot of people just staying in the hotel and not surfing the wave. It's more that you want to surf the wave. So then you book you know, an $800 a night room and then still pay the pool fees. So it's going to keep it um, uh, uncrowded, essentially. It's not going to exactly be just a weekend getaway for you and I. It's going to be um, the biggest and the best and the most perfect wave in the desert. You go to the desert, there's all these wave pools, but if you want to surf the biggest and the best one, you got to pay the premium to do it. I think that's the concept. Yeah, um, and there's no doubt that if it's anything like Lemoore, it's definitely the biggest and the best relative to those other technologies. And it's going to be bigger than the Lemoore. The footprint is bigger, and the wave is going to be bigger too. Gnarly. Um, That's insane. So the other two that you mentioned, though, one of them actually um, got up and running this past week, the Palm Springs Surf Club. And there was one image that Stab posted of Idolo Ferrer getting a backside barrel, but... I have a friend who actually got an invite to go surf it. And it's like you said, Shane Magnuson and I think Kalani Rob are the two figureheads, uh, public facing figureheads that are promoting this and doing a lot of the R and D and Shane Magnuson, of course, was at the BSR mm-hmm. cable park at Waco. So he has a lot of hands-on experience, um, living there, helping bring that wave online and then surfing the wave a ton and modifying the machinery and the mechanics and the pool itself. So he's a great guy to have on staff and he's now there in Palm Springs working that in a similar capacity. So my friend that surfed it said that it's super fun. It's really similar to BSR right now, but they're making it larger and they're also going to have better control of the waves. So I don't know what that means exactly, but, um, he said it's super fun and it's got all the promise in the world. Like we, you and I would have a blast going there and surfing it for the weekend. So. Yeah. But it, it won't be up and running I've for had about a, a year and a half. I was going to say, I've, I've had a blast at every wave pool I've ever been to. Even the, you know, the lamest of the lame now, which is Typhoon Lagoon in Orlando. Right. It's still fun. It's still fun. I mean, you're in the water, splashing around, catching waves, watching your bros, hooting and hollering. You know what I mean? Like you, the fun Fun quotient is high at all of these things. Which one did you, you have? Know, if you go into it with the right attitude. Which one did you have the most fun in? The Slater one's the best, the most fun. See, I... The Slater one I, is just, it's challenging and ripping. And I botched the Slater experience, but I had the most fun at the BSR experience. Yeah. Well, the BSR experience isn't as anxiety-ridden, but... that's the Yeah, that's where I botched it on my own, like nothing to do with the wave or anything like that. But the BSR was just the most quote fun. 
Had you made your waves at the Kelly Slater Wave Pool, right? It might have had more fun there. Yeah, exactly. I'm accepting that. It's one of my greatest regrets okay. in life. Well, uh, speaking of which, in addition, I'm finding out now, and you may already know this, that plans are underway to retrofit the Inland Surf Park in Austin, Texas, which was purchased by the Kelly Slater Wave Company, and now they're moving forward aggressively to implement the Kelly Slater wave pool technology there. Engineering firm Carlson, Brignance, and Doring have brought their plans to the city of Austin, and uh, they're waiting for approval of the plans. So that thing's finally going to get some work done on it. Good. That was my least – I mean, that yeah. that wave kind of blew. <laughs> the uh, the Enlin – I know that way. The Enlin version. Yeah, that just one like was a, the worst. a mushy, you know, maybe waist high on the biggest set wave that was just so mushy you could barely do anything on it. That wave was pretty bad. It wasn't even actually. like an ocean. But I still wave. had fun. I guess. Yeah, it was fun because it was all novelty at that point. Yeah. All right, Scott. Well, you got Dukes, Kooks, anything else that you want to regale us with? I just have my must my must see moment, which is we already spoke of it a uh, week in February with Mason Ho in Brazil. That was insane. That was insanely fun to watch him ride those backwash waves and yeah. surf that. And and just, he's just, he's, he's the, you know, he's our, he's this generation's Dane Reynolds. He's the guy we, he, he gets my, my attention. He's the surfer of the moment for sure. And what, um, all of these things have in common whenever there's been these moments, at least in my my life of surfing, was this lo-fi, um, under-edited, like under-produced uh, visual that lets the surfing and the fun of surfing just be the showcase. So Dane certainly did it with Marine Layer. Those things were lo-fi. Lost surf videos did it of my youth where they would just show complete waves from beginning to end, wipeouts, these long meandering songs, um, you know, that were like the live version of Sublime or something like that, playing a club in Long Beach that they would use in the soundtrack. They are the antithesis of most of what we see and certainly what the WSL produces. And that's what I love about the Mason Ho edits. It's a 15-minute meandering, sprawling thing of him paddling out, him losing his board, him swimming in to get his board, all of that stuff that is what your and my surf session is made of. You know, it's not made of completed rides most of the time. It's made of falls and all that sort of stuff. So it's highly relatable. Obviously, yeah. he's super talented, um, but it's just it's a blast to watch. It, it's, it completely captures the surf experience, I think. I, I would you nailed it. Yeah. That's my musty moment. I agree. Um so my Duke is Bob Hovey. Bob Hovey. Oh Bob Hovey. <laughs> yeah, Bob Hovey. Who? Um I don't know if we even discussed this. I remember reading it last year and maybe put it in my notes. I don't know if we got around to it or not, but uh a video went viral last year of Bob Hovey who tried to access his local beach in duck north carolina and the local homeowners like he parked on a street like a cul-de-sac that had access to the beach 
And there's a bunch of signs from the local homeowners basically saying that it's private parking in a private street and that you're not allowed to park there. And he knew the laws because he's a local. I think he owns a local business, Duck Urban Duck Outfitters yeah. or something like that. And um, so he starts arguing with the local homeowners that come out of their house to tell him to move his car, and he starts filming it. And one of the ladies is particularly irate, which always makes for a good video. Basically saying, look, you you yeah. cannot park here. You're not allowed to park here and access the beach. This is a private street. If you want to find a public beach, you have to go down and park wherever else in a public lot. And he stands his ground and kind of trolls her a little bit. So she and her other neighbors call the cops. The cops show up, side with the homeowners, fine him, give him a citation, and he has to leave. Well, knowing his rights... He took it to the courts, and it's been in the courts for a year. And this week, a judge just sided with Bob Hovey and against the homeowners of Sand Dollar Shores HOA members to have all of their signs removed and to uh, refund Bob Hovey's fines that he had to pay. Uh, basically, the homeowners... Nice! Yeah, basically, the homeowners got together, and they're like, look, let's protect this. And they printed signs that didn't look legal, but they looked kind of official, just saying you're not allowed to park here. And trespassers will be towed, even though they had no legal right to do it. And because it's a small enclave and the local police probably are, you know, friends with every all the local homeowners, they just kind of enforced it. And uh, this dude fought against it for beach access. So the Duke is Bob Hovey. Good for him. Yeah. Very nice. I'm stoked to hear that. Open access for the masses. You can't own the beach, Scott. Right. You can own a wave pool, though. Resist. <laughs> Hashtag, hashtag we're open for business. Exactly. All right. Well, boardroomshow.com. Listeners, come hang with Scott and myself at the Boardroom Show, May 2nd and 3rd. We'll be there all weekend. Kissing hands and shaking babies. <laughs> exactly. Well, this will be a fitting ending for you and Hawaii, David. Until next time, adios and aloha. When they come to take.